Hey guys, welcome to Lather Talk. This is John, and we have quite the episode for you today. Today, we're talking to Will Carius of Barrister and Man, as well as the newly launched Bursu's Perfumes. Now, you'll hear us launch right into the conversation, talking about the packaging of the new perfume, Allegretto 7.2, as Gerard and I have both ordered samples, and they had just arrived prior to the interview. So we'll talk about all the details of the packaging, the customer experience, and the story behind Allegretto 7.2, as well as the formation of Bursu's Perfumes. We'll also get to talk to Will about his in-depth knowledge about fragrances, his love for fragrances, and what it's meant to his life thus far. He provided us with such wonderful, detailed, and personal stories, and we can't wait to share them with you. We hope you enjoy the conversation, and now, on to the episode. This is the most elaborate design for a sample I've ever experienced, and I'm just like, I'm just like, it's a it's a good start. <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, I mean, like the whole idea was to make everything that comes from Bursu's is supposed to feel like a present to yourself, um, and the the packaging for the full bottles is actually dramatically more elaborate. Um, it's uh, I mean I won't even spoil it I I want you to see it because I'm really I'm really proud of it it took years to design um but I mean like everything everything about this was because we finished the fragrance and then started on the unboxing experience and the whole idea was to make it feel special and so uh, you know it's it and as I as I said in my MA and as I've said other places is that you know this is not about a fragrance that's going to get you compliments or a fragrance that's going to get you laid or whatever. This is about a fragrance, you buying a fragrance that's important to you. And like, you probably won't love all of them. And that's fine. Like I have said from the outset through Barrister and Man that I don't want you to love everything. But, um, you know, so long as you can find one, that's what really matters. And, and you know, that's that's the point of the samples. But it should still feel special, and it it should feel like a little bit of a luxury. And so that was that was the thinking behind the design. I wanted to use as few different pieces of packaging as possible. And I know that sounds ridiculous looking at it because you you open it up and it's got the tissue paper, which is completely biodegradable and compostable, um, and you've got the little. You know, the locks that holds the sample and that's really to protect the sample like I hate those little card things those foldy cards that you get um yeah that I I could we considered it and I just I just hate them they okay. feel so cheap and unfinished and I so I we went for the little boxes I actually got the idea from Frederick Mall because that's how they do their samples okay. um and I think Zerchoff and Beredo do the same thing there are a couple of different companies that use uh, you know, little sample boxes as opposed to the cards. And I, I just hate the cards. <laughs> so, um, but this just feels like a more finished idea in my view. So there's this little box that the samples come in. And I mean, the, the box itself is just cardboard. It will eventually break down. And it's also meant to hold, say, you know, if we decide to do like a, like a 10 milliliter spray or something, uh, the dimensions of the box were designed such that uh, we can fit sprayers the the vials in a box that size and you know we'll just have like an insert made to hold them in place so nothing happens to them 
But um, the full-size packaging, everything is removable. You can break everything down. And the idea behind this was that you could reuse the box that it comes in as, you know, depending on who you are, you could use it as like a jewelry box or you could use it, you know, to hold books or something, or you can use it for all different purposes. Like you can completely dismantle the thing and just use it as a box. And so the idea was that if we couldn't make it break down, then at least we could make it reusable. So that was, that was the, the idea, but the, the box that the full bottles come in, so there's, there's a whole big box and that actually holds the bottle in place. And then there's sort of a smaller, what's called a setup box. And that has a magnetic closure, and like that's the box you would actually see on a shelf if you were to walk into a into a fragrance store and see see a Bursu's fragrance. Like that's what you'd see on a shelf. Um, that is pretty tough. It's pretty solidly made, and um, actually those are what I'm waiting for right now. Uh, but the the thinking is that if you want to protect your fragrance from light, because light is not great for perfume, or if you want to travel with it or something and make sure that it doesn't get smashed, you can put it back in this box and just kind of carry it around that way. That That is a lot of thinking into the packaging. <laughs> and no, no, but no, I, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jared. No, because you know what? Like, this is kind of like, you know, people in the cult of, of Apple, the unboxing experience, mm -hmm. you know, of, of everything, where is the moment you get it, just whether it's like the minimalist aspect to it, um, you know, like there are YouTube channels with millions of people, you know, like just that just revolve around the unboxing experience of a product. Yep. And so, you know, if, if that's how this starts, then like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm totally down with that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, some people will just go in and just like, you know, just rip it apart to shreds and we won't know for the better. And then there are some people that just say, ah, like this in itself. I don't, I haven't even sprayed my first spray yet and I'm already having a pleasurable experience, you know, just Good. unboxing this. Good. Right? And that's what I want. That's what I wanted. I wanted it. I, I wanted every little thing to feel special and like this was this whole thing came about because i bought a bottle of perfume from chanel um because i wanted to see how the biggest perfume house in the world ships its perfume and they sent me this kind of craptastic box that was just full of like mushed up tissue paper and it was torn and it was sloppy and so I, I sent them an email. I was like, well, what is this? I was like, you're, you're, you are the gold standard of luxury. Like, this should be better. And they sent me this very strange, like, oddly stilted, awkward email back. And they're like, thank you for buying the beautiful Bois de Zeal. We will take your feedback into account. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well... And, then, and so I wrote a review and they promptly deleted it and I sent them another email. I was like, well, this isn't cool. <laughs> and they, they just completely blew me off. They never answered me. And I, I really felt like they just, they just didn't give a damn. Like they had gotten my money and that was it. And I like then and there, I swore that no Bursu's customer would ever feel that way. And no one would ever feel like we were not interested in talking to them. No one would ever feel like we had abandoned them, like we were no longer interested because now we had their money. Like that is not not at all what I want uh, a Bursu's customer experience to be like. I want it to feel like we are there for you if you need us, but we won't bug you if you don't want to talk to anybody. 
that's that's pretty bad customer experience. <laughs> awful, awful. I mean, when you're just you know at that point, are you a luxury house or are you just like this massive machine that just has to chug 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 keep on going? And that was really how it felt. It was it felt like they cared about you know maybe the uppermost one percent of their clientele, the people who draw who walk into a Chanel boutique and drop a hundred grand and don't bet an eye. And the rest of us unwashed are just sort of a revenue stream to keep the rest of it going. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think Coco Chanel would be into this, but whatever. For me, you know, as far as, the, you know, this goes, I, it was just definitely unexpected. I thought I was, and I got the box, I kind of have it right here, you know, and like, I'm just like, oh, we have the hello here. And then when I open it, you know, for, for people to see just this wonderfully, like, you know, nicely designed notes in harmony. I have the paper that you had mentioned down here on the floor. It was uh, chattering. So I, I'm not going to touch it <laughs> on the mic um, or anything like that. But like you said, like you have, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so I think that's just going to very much communicate really well to, to future customers. Well, that's good to hear. Honestly, you're you're among my first like real feedback regarding the entire experience. So I'm like taking mental notes here as we yeah. talk about. Well, John, this. John got it too the other day. Yeah. You know? So John I, hadn't told me anything yet, though. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so. No, I, yeah, I agree with you, Gerard. I think for me, when I because I I mentioned you know I I enjoyed the art on the inside, but. There's something fun, whimsical, almost childlike about it, right? Because it's like it's an illustration that would just easily belong in a children's storybook. Mm-hmm. As, but it's also cla- classy, professional, and totally at home with a you know, with a perfume company. So I don't know. It it actually yeah, it's packaging that evoked an emotion. And I can't say that <laughs> that's usually the case for most of the things I'm unboxing. Like ooh, you know for electronics or whatever like that. I, I know that's a different industry and whatnot, but. Yeah, but you know, I mean, <clears throat> Apple Apple sets the standard for unboxing experience. Like, it, you know, when Steve Jobs was still alive, everybody took notes about how he would give product announcement presentations. Like they were, they were studied, broken down second by second, gesture by gesture. And Apple, I mean, obviously Steve Jobs is gone now, but Apple has stuck with that intense commitment to the experience and their unboxing experience has been the gold standard for a long time. And they made elegant minimalism a thing in in a way that I think no one else had ever really done. Because like, you remember in the 90s when you would order a, a very expensive computer, it would be like two or three grand and it would come in and it would be like an old school CRT monitor and the thing would be heavy as hell and you'd be like trying to set it up. And it, it was just a nightmare, but it felt very industrial. Apple was the first company to really make it feel luxurious. They made it felt like a, like a lifestyle, like you were part of, of, of a community. And that was really cool. And it's still really cool. I mean, Cult of Mac is legitimately, I think, a website. It's a, it's a thing in, in itself. And yep. um, I don't know of any other at least tech company um, that uh, has that kind of following. Def- definitely not, you know. I mean, it's been, what? 12, 13 years since, you know, the iPhone was released and you still have mm-hmm. people lining up days before the launch of it, you know? Yep. And I'm just like, 
and that's it. And they're happy. They're just like so happy to be like those people in line. And, um, you know, it, it just goes to show the, the kind of um, attention that they give, you know, like their customers and everything like that and um, the devotion of their customers as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, how did the seeds get planted and, and how did you get to this point with the launch of Allegretto 7.2? <laughs> That's a, that's a long story. Um, so I had this idea, you know, I don't actually know how I came upon this idea. It just kind of, it was one of those things that occurred to me one day and one of those ideas that I just couldn't put down. Um, it was this thinking that there's a lot of overlap artistically between music and fragrance. I mean, like, you know, almost even down to the terminology, you know, different combinations of notes that, that produce different effects are known as accords. Like it's, it's, there's a definite, there's a definite um, shared lexicon between music and perfumery. And so it just made a lot of sense to me. And I, I thought about it. I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Like I could do a lot with this idea. So I, I just sort of let it percolate for a couple of years and um around like and and i was i had already sort of committed to the idea of eventually turning it into a brand maybe um i i kind of floated it on this on this design website called 99 designs and they sent me a logo and it 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 actually looked pretty cool but it just wasn't unique enough and so i shelved the idea for a while and i I had trouble coming up with a name and I, I went back and forth and uh, eventually I settled on Bersuze, which is the, the French word for lullaby. And uh, I went with that because I, I could think of nothing as innocent, really, as, as sweet and innocent and just pure as a piece of music that is sung or played to help a child go to sleep and when I was a little kid perfume and and music fragrance and taste overlap a whole lot right uh if you lose your sense of smell your sense of taste just goes out the window but um so my my parents were bakers when I was a kid they were professional bakers and um my mother wore Calvin Klein obsession this was before they reformulated it and ruined it. Now it's garbage. Um, so I've bought her a few vintage bottles since. Um, and, you know, we used to go on long road trips and she she would listen to music. And so she, my mother has a, has a real thing for music. My grandfather had a real thing for music. And so um, it just sort of came together. And like, I always, I always thought about fragrance and music and, and taste and, and a whole lot, just the whole idea of that part, you know, the, the intangible senses, I suppose you'd call them. Um, and so it, it was this idea that, like I said, uh, percolated for some time. And then, um, you know, I, I settled on the name Bersuz and I was, because I wanted something that just, that just expressed a kind of innocent purity that, 
was not present in the fragrance world, really still is not present in the fragrance world because fragrance is sold like fragrance is sold on sex. You know, at least designer fragrances are sold on sex. Like Terre d'Hermes, Dior Fahrenheit, Cool Water, you read the copy for any of them and the copywriter who wrote it is telling you this stuff is gonna, is gonna get you laid if you spray it on. Like Axe built their entire brand on that. Like remember the commercials where some, some sweaty high schooler would spray on a can of Axe and just like douse himself in this stuff and women would come running from miles around and just like beat down the doors and swarm all over him. Like that's how fragrance is sold. I would like to like interject really quick. <laughs> At the same time that Axe launched, there was another company called Bod. I remember and, that. And and their marketing campaign was you would spray this stuff on and like hundreds of muscular, sweaty men would show up into yep. the picture. Yep. Um, like like you were like that, that was what you were aspiring to be. And yep. uh, no, no offense to anyone like who, who's, who, who leans in that way, but it was just literally the, the opposite of what Axe did and they folded very quickly uh, there soon after. <laughs> Surprise. But, I mean, like, no matter the target market, fragrance is sold on sex. Um, and a lot of niche fragrances, most for niche fragrance, I th- maybe we're veering away a little bit from that now. Um, but, like, the, the independent fragrance brands that aren't intrinsically connected to their perfumers or proprietors in some way. Like Andy, Andy Tower and Tower Perfumes are one in the same, right? Victor Wong and Zoologist are one in the same. But there are other fragrance brands that are messier. You know, they're, they're just, they're more corporate. And a lot of times the copy for those is very sexually oriented. Even as, try, as much as they try to be subtle about it, they're trying to convey the idea that spraying this stuff on is going to make you more attractive. And they use various ways to do that. They talk about the exotic seductive resins and, you know, all of these beautiful things that they put in. And it's, it's ridiculous, frankly, because, you know, for one thing, that has never happened to anyone. <laughs> and, and like, there's no, there's no scientific basis for it in humans. Like, it's just ridiculous. But also, it's just tiresome. Like, can't we do something else? Can't, can't we think about something else as a species other than banging and killing each other? Like, you can't sell a fragrance based on war, so they sell it on sex. Although, because it sells. I, exactly. Sex sells. <laughs> but you know what sex sells? Sex sells sex. Sex doesn't necessarily sell anything else other than sex. Now, that works great for fragrance because theoretically, you know, you, you're, the idea is that you spray something on and you're going to have sex. Like, that's, that's the point. But, you know, it, it, beyond that, the appeal sort of starts to get fuzzy. But it's just... Perfume is an extremely complex art form, right? Like music, like painting, like sculpture, like literature. You know, I mean, it's, it's an art form. And so, but there aren't only, like if all paintings were porn, we would be bored, right? If all sculptures were just like blow up dolls, we would be bored. If all, if all food was, you know, licking whatever off somebody we would be bored like people would die of starvation because they just wouldn't want to eat 
perfume is the only art form that suffers from this, I think. This, this fixation with the carnal. The thing about it is that it just seemed like it, it was a, a hole in the market. It was, it was a gap. You know, this, this idea of ars gratia artist, art for art's sake, fragrance for fragrance's sake. The idea that you're wearing something not because it's going gonna, it's gonna to have people stripping off their clothes in front of you, but because it just, it's nice. And so um, I let this, like I said, getting back to the story, <laughs> I let this idea percolate for a few years and I had chosen a name and um, I didn't really know what to do with it. And I was studying for the bar uh, and I was living in Roslindale at the time and I was still ordering a lot of perfume samples and I, I still I still order a fair number of perfume perfume samples because they're you know people produce a lot of perfume still more perfume than ever really um, and I had heard about this new Italian perfumer who was making waves and was producing work just unlike anything anybody else was doing and I was like all right well this sounds pretty cool and then I found out he was an architect and I was like, all right, well, that's even cooler, whatever, you know, and there's, there's a lot of interesting overlap in perfume. Like a few people are lawyers, myself included. Um, Andy Tower and Spiros Drosopoulos are scientists. Uh, Andy Tower has a, has a PhD in molecular biology. I think Spiros Drosopoulos has a PhD in neuroscience. I think it's neuroscience. Um, you know, Antonio's an architect, uh, a bunch of, a bunch of different people come to perfume from a bunch of different places. But anyway, so the second fragrance that he released and the second one that I tried was my, which I um, absolutely fell in love with. It is still one of my five favorite fragrances. It is, I think I once described it as genius on a supernova scale. It's just brilliant. And it's so... It reworks classic perfume in a way that no one had really done yet. And it's, it's really, really cool. It's this big animalic, you know, musky civet shebra thing. And Antonio actually, so far as I know, doesn't consider it a shebra. So I smelled my, and I, I fell in love with it and bought a bottle like on the spot, terrified that the IFRA would change their regulations and force my to be altered in some capacity, or it would be, you know, he would he wouldn't make it, and that they would stop. They would stop making the fragrance; and it would disappear. So, um, I I wore it a lot in the because I I studied for the bar, and it was that the record winter in Boston when we got you know what was it eleven feet of snow or some some horrible thing it was awful. I <laughs> um, and so I wore a lot of perfume because I needed something something to keep from going insane. Um, and so like four or five months later, I decided that I was going to do something with the idea for pursues. And I, what I realized was that without knowing it, I had been waiting for someone that I felt could do it. I, that I felt would be interested enough and was interesting enough to work with me on what in some respects is a radical idea. And so I sent Antonio an email and I said, I, I really love your work. I said, my is a masterpiece. And I said, I would love for you to create a perfume for us. 
And I said, I have no timeline. I have no budget. I said, it'll cost what it costs. We will charge what we have to charge. I said, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we adhere to this idea and that it's special. And he said, and so we had a long, we had a long Skype call. Um, and Italy, I think, is about seven hours ahead of us. Uh, so that would make them 10 hours ahead of you, Gerard. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, I, I was like early, early-ish morning. And so we talked for like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and he seemed really into the idea. And I, I was like, okay, well, this is cool. And then so we hung up the phone. And I didn't hear from him for three months. And I went, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I told this guy my idea. He's going to take it and run with it. I'm screwed. What the hell do I do? And then three months later, I get this, I get this package in the mail. There's like a little box. And Antonio's so funny because he always sends a little, a little card um, with like a little note on it. And um, I don't know if either of you has ever bought a Bogue fragrance, but the logo is a, what I thought was a beetle. But I've come to learn since that it's actually a stink bug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, this little box arrives and I, and it says, you know, Antonio Gardoni on it. And I went, oh, well, okay, I guess this is going to work out after all. And I opened it up and there were two vials. And the way that this went was that he would submit two or three briefs, two or three drafts at a time. And a lot of times they were variations on the same idea. So he would take it two different ways and ask me which one I liked better. And then we'd go from there. Um, which is not that unusual in perfumery, but uh, was not something that I had ever really experienced before. So that was really cool. And then, um, so we, I sent him an email back and I let him know what I thought. And he was like, okay. And then I didn't hear from him for another couple of months. And then I got another package in the mail. And this, this was how it went for three years. It went on and on and on for three years. And so, um, I mean, like I obsessed about every little part of it. I, you know, what, what is this note? What is that note? Is this right? Is this, is this not right? Does this have enough? Is it, does this, is there enough vetiver? Is it dark enough? Is it light enough? Is it too heavy? Is it too strong? Is it this? Is it that? So, and I'm sure he was ripping his hair out by the end of it. And he, he, I mean, like when I met him, he was bald, but still, um, maybe he was ripping his beard hair out cause he's got like a beard. So anyway, we come to like, the 28th or 29th submission. Uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm Because my mother and I went to, went to London in 2018 for the Art and Olfaction Awards. And he said, you know what? I'm going to be in London. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for the A&O. Um, I'll bring it to you. I went, okay. So he brings it to me. And it's like 80 in London in April, which is the weirdest thing. Like the, It was so strange because I had never been to, I'd never been to Britain before. And everybody I met was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about the weather. <laughs> I, had never, I had never had an entire population apologize for their weather before. But, um, you know, that, that, was a, that was a different occurrence. But anyway, so it was hot. It was like 80, 85. Everybody's walking around in t-shirts. And Antonio hands me this vial of this very rich, very smoky, rooty thing. 
And I go, should I spray this on? He's like, yes, you should. So I sprayed it on and we were standing in uh, Bloom Perfumery in Covent Garden and I sprayed it on and I went, yeah, this is it. And I asked him to try one thing for me just because I thought it'd be an interesting idea. Um, he's like, I don't know about this. I was like, eh, just humor me. And so he tried it and he sent me the brief and, or sent me the draft and I smelled it. And I went, nope, never mind. Antonio was right. Scrap that one. And uh, so that was, that was where we stopped. We stopped at number 28 and uh, that was it. And I, so I, I got it and then having it compounded was a nightmare. Um, and having it, having it go through IFRA certification was a nightmare. I haven't actually submitted it for certification yet, but I have a certificate of compliance. And so we dealt with the compounding lab and the first formula was wrong. Like it, it was way over the vetiver. The vetiver was way over IFRA restrictions. And I went, okay. So I went back to Antonio. I was like, Antonio, I got a problem. I was like, it's, it, it doesn't work. Like it, it's, I can't sell this in Europe. And he went, oh crap, I'm sorry. So two weeks later, I get another package in the mail. And he's like, I fixed it. And I said, okay. So um, I smelled it and I smelled the, its predecessor and I was like, Honestly, I don't know that I would be able to tell the difference blind. And but this one, this one complies. Like this one is, it was dead on compliant. And so, um, you know, I went back to the compounding lab and they made it for me and shipped me four kilos of it, and it's been sitting in my lab ever since. For the um, for the benefit of our listeners who might not be as familiar with the, the fragrance world, I'm just wondering if you could just slightly just kind of unpack the phrase, uh, the terminology for um, compounding. And oh. also, and also just just go a little bit into the uh, IFRA and kind of those standards. Yeah. In the United States, we are not really subject to fragrance regulation or restriction in any major capacity. Um, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act does not really grant the FDA authority to regulate fragrance materials the way that it can it can regulate food or drugs. So this is really the result of lobbying on the part of the fragrance industry more than anything else. And they formed this sort of amalgamated watchdog group in the early 70s called the IFRA, the International Fragrance, uh, International Fragrance Association. I've heard it refued, referred to as a few other things, but it's the International Fragrance Association. And so originally it was just like the big six chemical manufacturers slash perfume houses who had gotten together to regulate themselves so that governments wouldn't do it for them um, and possibly do more, do a lot of damage in the, in the name of public health. Um, people who are not familiar with the IFRA tend to, th tend to not trust it because they're like, well, you can't trust them to regulate themselves. But I will tell you that the IFRA is extraordinarily careful and exacting about the materials that it tests. It tests everything. They regulate everything. Um, I mean, the, the, the IFRA code of practice is probably 400 pages. It's huge. And it goes into levels that you can use of, you know, vetiver oil or phenoxy, not phenoxyethanol, sorry, phenethyl alcohol or, you know, any other, any other fragrance material um, 
it goes into what level you, how much you can use in a body cream, how much you can use in a perfume, how much you can do use in a hair pomade. And they're all different numbers. Um, so the IFRA is sort of, you know, sort of a, an industry regulation group. Nowadays, they've kind of folded to pressure from the EU, which in turn folds to pressure from its constituents. And so um, the EU has taken a more active role in what the IFRA does these days. But originally it was, it was purely an industry group. Um, but in order to sell perfume in the European Union legally, uh, you have to comply with IFRA standards. And so um, there are various labs in the United States that will make raw fragrance for you so something that you would dilute down with alcohol. And then they'll issue a certificate saying that it complies with IFRA standards. And so this process is known as compounding. Um, and so the idea is that they take all of these different materials and blend them together into a finished perfume compound. And so it's that compound that is then diluted with alcohol and allowed to age for a given period of time. Truthfully, Allegretto 7.2 has the longest, uh, what's called maceration period I have ever seen. Um, it's when it's, after it's been compounded, it matures. I mature it in glass because the original, um, the original stock of the fragrance actually was lost because the canister that they shipped it to me in developed a hairline crack and the whole thing leaked out into the lab. <laughs> Um, thankfully the lab replaced it at no charge, but it was, it was really, really scary. Um, so now I'm, I mature them in glass because the idea is that, and like we tested it, there's nothing corrosive in it. I have no idea what caused this. It, we figure it was just a manufacturing defect. Cause like they went back and ripped the whole formula apart, trying to figure out what had happened. And it's, it's not the fragrance. There was just something wrong with the canister. Um, so anyway, I uh, I mature the I mature the fragrance in glass. Um, Allegretto is matured for ten weeks. Normally, fragrances are not aged for more than like six to eight weeks. Allegretto's perfume concentrate, its compound, is matured for ten weeks and then macerated in out al in alcohol for an additional eight weeks. So, yeah, it's four and a half months. Months. Yeah. And so the original, the original diluted perfume is sitting in a glass canister in my lab and has been there for, it'll have been there a year on February 15th. So just kind of maybe speaking, uh, you know, from the, for most of our views through, from the wet shaving world, in that four and a half months in, the, in that 18 weeks like what's happening basically what's happening is that so like an essential oil is not just one pure substance right it's made up of usually hundreds of different materials like rose oil is 470 something different materials give or take um a lot of times what's happening as it sits there is it's very much like aging whiskey or wine it's undergoing internal chemical processes that are smoothing it out, increasing its longevity. Truthfully, that is beyond, the, the exact mechanics of that are beyond my knowledge base. That's something that perfume chemists 
I'm sure study in great detail, but the actual processes that uh, macerating perfume undergoes are not something that I really am all that acquainted with. But I do know that maceration and maturation are both necessary because if you just like pour raw concentrate into alcohol or the other way around, depending on how you compound it and pop it into a bottle, it could very well smell very different six months down the line. And at that point, people, you're going to piss people off because they're going to spray something that is not what they bought and they're not going to be happy about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble with like the theme of music kind of being, you know, like a, a center point for Versus and, and in this case um, for Allegretto 7.2. I know that it's uh, after Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. Why mm-hmm. that piece? Well, like what, you know, yeah, why that piece in particular? Was that always the, the musical piece that was, uh, that was going to be the first, you know, first fragrance? Yes. And things like that. So, um, through the course of the development of the house, I've developed a, a methodology for how the perfumes are commissioned. And this is, I actually laid this out in full detail on the front page of the website because mm-hmm. I want people to know how these are put together. Um, and so what we do, the idea now is that I have a list of 13, I want to call them pieces of music, but in some cases they were like stretches of music because um, like the ending sequence of Abbey Road is one of them. Uh, no one has claimed that. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, and the idea is that um, the, each of these pieces of music is important to either myself or my mother who co-owns Barrister and Man and thus co-owns Pursues with me. Um, and so the way it works is that I'll, I go, I go to a perfumer whose work I really like and I kind of pitch the idea to them and they, you know, if they're interested, then I send them the list and they choose a piece. And once they've chosen a piece, then it's theirs and no one else works on it unless, you know, maybe they back out or something at which point the piece goes back up for grabs. Um, But it's gotta be something that speaks to them and speaks to us. And so it's, it's got to be emotionally important. And there are a variety of things that can make a piece of music emotionally important. You know, I, uh, a piece, I ended up adding another piece to the a list last May when I had to put my dog to sleep. Um, so it, it, you know, I mean, they can be there for happy reasons. They can be there for sad reasons. There are a lot of different 
ways that they can come to come to be on the list. Um, Antonio was not offered that latitude, largely because it was so much earlier in the process. And so I went to Antonio and asked him specifically to create a fragrance based on the second movement of Beethoven's Seventh, which is a piece that my mother and I both absolutely love and um, has had sort of a, a resounding effect on my life. I, when I was, I was on the radio in college and um, at one point played the entire, all nine symphonies, all nine of Beethoven's symphonies um, over the course of several days. And I actually played the seventh symphony twice. And uh, Beethoven remains my, my favorite of the classical composers. I find the man absolutely fascinating. I took a course on his life in college um, and his, his works resonate with me for reasons that I don't entirely understand. But this, the second movement of the seventh above all is perhaps the, the one that I always think of the most. And so it was, would make a great perfume. Like it was, I figured if we were going to prove the concept, then the way to prove the concept was with a masterpiece. And so I chose one of the greatest musical masterpieces of all time. And so that was, that was kind of how it, how it ended up. And then I don't know that Antonio would have, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm not entirely certain that he would have taken on the project had I brought him something more modern. Um, you know, because other perfumers with whom I've worked have selected more modern pieces of music, which is very interesting to me. But Antonio, a lot of respects, has a, has a real thing for tradition. Um, at least in, that's the impression that I've gotten from the man. And so, you know, taking him something that's kind of timelessly, a, 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 timeless, a timeless musical classic, you know, something that will always be a, a grand masterpiece of, of music, um, in retrospect, was probably the most appropriate thing that we could have done. It's interesting because I, as even it's kind of explaining everything, like how, um, you know, being a masterpiece, being a, being a, a symphony and everything, that's kind of like how all of the notes come together, whether, you know, there's something that's more prominent, more prominent voice, more prominent tone, uh, something that, you know, um, just adds a very little bit, but without it, it would, it would, you know, it wouldn't hold up in a certain sense. Uh, would you find like those kind of, um, or that, I guess, analogy or that comparison kind of apt as far as music and fragrance is concerned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, perfect example. Zoologist Bat. The now tragically discontinued Zoologist Bat is premised largely on the idea of like damp caves and bats and guano and mango or banana or whatever. I don't, I don't remember what fruit Ellen actually tried to recreate. Anyway, the point is that it incorporates a material called geosmin, which is the smell of damp earth after rain. It's literally the smell of petrichor. It's a, a, chemical, a chemical distress signal released by spores in the soil. And um, it's extraordinarily powerful. I think it's, it's one of the strongest 
one of the most detectable molecules by the human nose, which is saying something, I got to tell you. And I think it, the, the nose can detect geosmin down to like four parts per trillion. This stuff is incredibly strong. Without geosmin, that would be completely different. It's, I, I, I don't know how much geosmin is in the original bat. My guess is not very much. Um, I will say that, like, it's, it's likely well below 1%. But if you were to remove that tiny quantity, you would completely change the fragrance. And music is the same way. Like, speaking about... Speaking about Beethoven in particular, like the, that, the second movement has that very low measured uh, progression, you know, the da, 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 da. But that's not just one instrument. It's not just a cello. It's an entire string section just done very quietly. If you were to remove, say, the violin from that progression, the symphony would be very different. I think what connects the two is emotion, right? And, mm -hmm. and Beethoven's compositions, there is emotion, no doubt, behind those pieces. So I'm just wondering what um, kind of what your thoughts are on, thoughts are on uh, fragrance and emotion. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, this, this is a big thing. Um, there is a, there's a fragrance made by La Tisson, which has now been purchased by, I believe, Estee Lauder owns La Tisson now. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm so, so far as I know, they haven't changed it. It's called Zing, D-Z-I-N-G exclamation point. The exclamation point is important. Um, Zing is the smell of a circus. Like, almost literally, it smells like wood chips and animal poop and caramel corn and, and warm cardboard and uh, cotton candy and all of these things it, it, and peanuts. And it, it, I own a bottle of it. For a while, I thought they had discontinued it and I was devastated. When I was a little kid, my father worked as a, I mean, in addition to working as a, as a baker, he also worked as a contractor. And he used to work in New Jersey and commute back and forth between New Jersey and upstate New York. So I didn't see him a whole lot. You know, he'd be gone for like four or five days, then he'd be back for two days or something, and then he'd have to go back and do a job. At the time, um, this little circus used to come around to the, one of the local colleges and they just performed in the gym. I mean, like it wasn't like a, like they didn't, I don't think SUNY Oneonta even has a, a performance hall that could accommodate them. Otherwise, like they have like, you know, they have stages and that kind of thing, but they don't have anything that could accommodate a circus. So they did it in the gym and we used to get tickets and we'd go and it would just be dad and myself and that was one of my favorite times as a child. I still remember it in vivid detail. I remember the smells. I remember 
this was when they had elephants. I remember they had elephants and they had, I mean, like it was a, it was a real circus. It wasn't a huge circus, but it was a real circus. I first came upon Zing as a perfume when I read Luca Turin's perfume guide. I had never heard of such a thing. I'd, I had no idea. This was when, this was early on in my, in my fragrance career. I had no idea that you could capture this kind of thing in fragrance. It never occurred to me. And so I, I was captivated by the concept and I made it a mission to smell it. And it's not terribly common. Like even like Lotzizon has dramatically decreased production of Zing, but even then it was not one of their more common fragrances, but it was definitely one of the best ones. But it's, it's a weird idea. Like who wants to smell like a circus? Let me tell you something. <laughs> it is unquestionably one of the greatest masterpieces in all of perfume. And Olivia Giacobetti, who created it for La Tisson, um, has assigned a bunch of different fragrances for the house. And now she works as the in-house perfumer for Lubin. But um, I don't know, I would love to know what the brief was like. And I'd love to have, I'd love to have been present at the pro during the process to compose it because the first time I opened that bottle and I sprayed it on a piece of blotter paper and I held it to my nose, it was like I was seven years old all over again. And I cried. I, I actually cried when I smelled it and I remember it so vividly and it just brought, it brought the whole experience back in a way that I thought I had lost. And so that was my first real introduction to the idea that fragrance is tied to an emo to emotion in a way that a lot of other things are not. Um, and I've, I've had this experience as a perfumer as well. I've had, I've had people write me, uh, write me emails and let me know that something that I created is very important to them for, you know, some, sometimes it's a lost loved one. You know, sometimes it's, it's a childhood place, you know, but, there's a thing in literature and also in perfume known, what's known as a Proustian moment. The, f the famous playwright Proust, Proust um, discussed dipping a Madeleine cookie in tea and how it brought him back to his childhood. That just that simple experience brought him, it, it was, you know, it all came rushing back much like when I smelled Zing for the first time. And um, so it's often referred to in those, in those terms when somebody discusses the emotional impact of a fragrance. But this is something that is written into perfume's DNA. Like this is something that perfumers have been striving to capture for over a century. The greatest fragrances of all time are the fragrances that remind us of when we were happy. And in the kind of blissfully pure happiness that only childhood can really provide. I mean, like, even if you had a miserable childhood, there are moments, there are, there are, there are moments of respite in miserable childhoods that can be resurrected by these kinds of experiences. And that is what 
many perfumers strive to capture, I think. Like that's the holy grail of perfumery. The, the, greatest, the greatest compliment in all of fragrance is to have someone cry when they, smell your, when they smell your work. And I know that sounds sadistic, and I don't mean it that way. What, I, what I'm saying is that to have created something that resonates with someone on such a deep emotional level that they, that they can't even hold it back, that to me is the greatest compliment I could ever receive. And I have I actually... I'm sorry. I, I just want to say this. I, I have actually written to Madame Giacobetti telling her about what an effect her work had on my life. Um, and she didn't answer. I, well, I, I couldn't get in touch with her directly. I wrote it to LeBan and they said they would pass it along to her. So she didn't answer, but I wanted to her to, I wanted her to know about it because if it were me, I would want to know. As your ex- beautiful you know, beautiful story. Uh, <laughs> like, and, and here's the thing, like, um, you mentioned those things and, and I like personally have probably experienced it in a different way. Um, I actually, it just reminded me of the classic scene in the Disney Pixar movie Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, where the critic who's just this stern exactly. skeleton of a man, um, you know, sits down, sees the Ratatouille and he takes his first mm-hmm. bite and in about like a 30 second non no verbal like you know thing it just takes him back to his childhood it's his mom's table you see like you know like it's just on a farm and everything and his mom's there and she spoons the the, her childhood ratatouille there and and you just see just the look on his face the comfort the all of it and they didn't have him say a single word in that moment and then they bring him back to the present and what happens? Like he drops the spoon and I don't like, he's just like stunned and, and stunned yep. in, in, in the moment. And it's, it's a, it's a great scene. It's probably my favorite scene in, in, in that movie because it did so much without saying anything. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And, and so like, I don't know if um, like, I, I just try to like recall, like, do I have any of those like moments, whether it's with, like with my parents or, or anything like that, you know. Um, I think so classic. Um, like growing up, uh, like my dad would just like wear uh, Fabergé by Brut, mm-hmm. Fabergé, and stuff like that. And um, and so like I associate that smell with just my dad. Yeah, that's it, right? And and, and everything, like um, I, after uh, I got the sample of Allegretto. Um, I, you know, I kind of told you, like, I don't really have, like, I guess, a, you know, an extensive, even like amateur, you know, like, background in fragrance, but like, I'm into food, you know, and Mm -hmm. so like, because like, at the same time, so many of my memories, um, you know, come, you know, happen at the dinner table, you know, at at the table. And then the same thing, you know, we're just like, all that all those notes come together. And I can smell my dad's cooking. Uh, he's the, he's the, you know, he's the cook of the family growing up mm. and it just takes me back. It just, you yeah. know, takes me to those moments. So I think that's a very, it's such a simple idea, but I mean, who, who, who does it, you know, in this case, Zing did it so 
you know, wonderfully that it brought tears to your eyes, you know, like when you smell it. And I think that um, in the future, we can only hope to, you know, um, to elicit such emotion. Yeah. It's something to strive for. Um, I mean, like all artists, I think, strive to elicit emotion. Like that's, that's arguably one of the, one of the fundamental points to, to making art. Correct. But cooking and fragrance can do it in a way that other, other things cannot. Um, and, and music too, I really, now that I, cause like, you, you know, if there's, if there's a, a song that reminds you of someone, um, you know, say, you know, something your, your mother sang to you when you were a child or something like that, that, that would definitely have the same effect. But the, like I said, the three and what I refer to as the intangibles, you know, uh, the sense of, the sense of, uh, taste, smell, hearing, you know, these things that you can't really describe and that we probably don't experience exactly the same way from person to person. Um, but they're so intrinsically tied to memory and, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be perfume. Like you said, it could be food, it could be music, but it's, it's that same kind of idea that embed memory that um, is really important. Well, I mean, I, th I think that's just a really powerful story. And Gerard, that's, <clears throat> that was the same exact picture that came in my mind. <laughs> it's that scene in Ratatouille. It's a um, great scene. It's a great it's, scene. It's so good. And as, Will, as you're talking about how the other arts can do it, we, we might as well just keep going on the Pixar thread because in Coco. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yes. In Coco with the scene with the grandma, I, I, I cried. <laughs> in that oh, scene my God. Like uh, a baby. Yeah, yeah, because because my my paternal grandmother kind of uh, lived with us for a little bit and then was always in, in my life growing mm -hmm. up. And she 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 passed away a few years ago, but with that is like it's it's fragrance, but fragrance via cooking. So she cooked mm -hmm. all the time, my, and my mm -hmm. mother my mother's cooking excellent cook as well. Well, there's certain things like jasmine tea, um, certain things being steamed. Um, yep my family's Taiwanese. So certain mm -hmm. like star anise and like soy sauce and rice right. wine, that combination is like, that is family. That is like, that goes back generations, right? It, 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 it goes beyond the here and now. And yeah. yeah, so I guess I should reframe it that way because it's not even just fragrance and emotion. That, I feel like that's almost too superficial because what you described with, uh, you know, uh, with your scent memory, right? Mm -hmm. It's not one emotion. It's combined because so, you mentioned you didn't see your father, or, you know, for stretches of time. So, yep. you know, there's there's happiness, joy, there's sadness and longing, and you know, it, it's 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 so complex. And, and yep. I I think that's awesome that you found a fragrance that transports you there. The next time I see you, I will bring a vial of it. I want you to smell it. I, I'd be I'd be very interested. I mean, no, and, and knowing the story behind it too, it's. Uh, that, that's just amazing. So I, yeah. I, I really, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing, sharing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite stories about perfume, actually, because um, it's it's like that ratatouille thing, and in and I honestly, I like I I love ratatouille. It's my favorite Pixar film, and 
like I always I always realized that those were the same thing, but I'd never actually laid them up side by side before. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I guess that is almost exactly the same experience. <laughs> question i'm just wondering if you could share did you have like uh, um some highlights from 2019 um whether it be releases or events that happened related 2019 was a rough year man oh. <laughs> um the maggard the maggard meetup was cool um we unveiled terror which was a, a lot of fun um my mother and I were like, well, people are asking us to bring back Arctique. And I was like, I really don't want to bring back Arctique. Because making Arctique is really unpleasant because adding menthol to soap causes it to vaporize. And so it burns your eyes terribly and your whole face goes numb. And when you're adding that much menthol to things, like I, you know, I, I can only imagine what Ron Weeb at Chiseled Face and uh, Rod Levan at... Um, at Sterling go through every time they make, you know, cryogen or, you know, the glacial, the glacial series. Like I, I wouldn't want to go through that all year long. That's just horrifying. Um, like I, I made it in July one time and like, there was like a fly buzzing around the lab and I added the menthol to the soap and the thing just dropped dead. And I went, that's wow. Okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, anyway, so I, I didn't want to make Arctic again. So I, you know, I thought it would be cool to do something based on the terror and, you know, this kind of creeping chill kind of idea. Um, and so that was really cool. And people seemed to really dig the branding and the packaging and the idea and the whole thing. So um, that was neat because I wasn't entirely sure that people were going to go for it. Uh, when we did Behold the Wetsis, that was a lot of fun. Um, I did, you know, I wanted to do something to pay homage to Dr. Seuss, who's one of my, one of my favorite authors and um, whose style I, and, and just incredible originality, I really, really appreciate. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. And I was really thrilled that people seemed to, but it, like I said, it was kind of a, kind of a crazed year. Really. A lot of strange things happened um, both with the company and, and, you know, here just, like in, amongst my amongst my family, my well, I lost my grandmother. We lost two dogs. Like it, it was just twenty nineteen was a weird year, man. <laughs> um, you know, Lissa, I thought uh, Lissa was a really cool project. I felt, I think that, um, I think we probably overthought it, and so we tried to do a lot, and people didn't really go for it. But I, I think that the idea of doing like this strange surgical funeral home zombie kind of thing. I still think that was a, a, a concept that was super cool. And uh, regardless of what people thought of it, um, I stand behind the fact that it was, it was definitely not like anything else. But, well, I'm, well, I'm sorry to hear that 2019 was a rough year. But... Well, 2020 will be better. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so that leads me, I guess, to wrap things up. What are some things you hope to, uh, hope to see in 2020 we're gonna do more soft hearts um i've been really enjoying doing the soft heart series i get to do you know kind of funky things with minimal risk um you know one of the one of the problems with doing what i do is i'll have like this really interesting idea for something 
and I can't show it off because there's a huge financial risk in, involved in doing something super strange for a full soap release because you make like, you know, you make, you make a whole lot of soap, you make a whole lot of aftershave, you ship it all over the world. And then maybe you put all this, all this money in and it just like falls flat and just dies. So, or, you know, people come out and they're like, it sucks. How dare you do this? You know, I, I mean, like nobody knows better than I do the experiences that one can have when people don't like your product. So, um, the nice thing about the soft heart series is that we do like a hundred jars and you know, I could do something that's kind of freaky that I don't know if it's, if people are going to like it or not. Like a maisel nut. I had no idea whether people were going to like a maisel nut or not. I thought it was really cool. There are so many fun things that you can do in fragrance and like you can do it in perfume and do like 50 bottles and at, you know, say $200 a pop, you can, you get, you recoup your cost and it's fine. Shaving soap is a different thing. You can't charge $200 for a jar of shaving soap. People will, will burn you an effigy. So, um, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a risk to do things that are kind of weird, but Soft Hearts, the Soft Hearts series sort of um, ameliorated the problem. So we're going to do more of those. And um, some of them are going to be like, you know, resurrections of older fragrances. Like, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a mini call on Reddit for us to do a, a new release of Rhapsody. I might consider that. That could be cool. Like, I, I miss Rhapsody. I, I think it's a neat fragrance. I always thought so. Um, we're going to do, you know, we're, we're going to do something for this time. This year, we're not doing, because people have asked me, are we going to bring back Behold the Watsis? We're not going to do that. We're going to do something more geared toward children's television instead. Um, you know, like Mr. Rogers, Captain Kangaroo, Sesame Street, um, uh, Fraggle Rock, that kind of thing. Because um, I'm I'm a big Jim Henson fan. I think Jim Henson was just like one of the most incredibly visionary artists of the 20th century, and his overall effect on culture, and you know, an entire entire generations of people, he just cannot be overstated. Um, and so I I you know and and Mr. Rogers too. I mean like they were pioneers in very different ways. I mean like watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood versus The Dark Crystal, but. Um, they they both they both stood for something very specific and they were both very good at what they did and they both had a lasting impact on you know entire generations of children in a way that i don't know that we will see again for quite some time i mean like they were singular influences um so i think that'll be really cool we're gonna bring terror back um i've gotten a bunch of questions are you gonna bring terror back yes we will bring terror back um, no, I will not do an EDT. That would be very strange. Um, well, the thing about it is that, like, what? I, <laughs> Who asked? Okay, actually, never mind. I, I saw. I saw that question. Yeah. People, people ask for EDTs for everything that they like, and I understand sure. that. Like, they want to. They want to be able to smell it all day, and that's that's completely cool. Like, you know, I I totally get that instinct. Sometimes you just can't do it, and sometimes you just shouldn't do it. Um, in the case of terror, I think it's both. I definitely can't do it. Um, because terror is largely frankincense and frankincense is really volatile as an oil. So like it would be gone inside of an hour and then I'd get angry emails. Well, it's gone. Well, <laughs> I mean like, yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen here. And so I don't want people to be mad at me and I'd rather, not deliver something that's that's going to be lacking. I mean, like, that's just, that's not what we do. So, um, 
Terror Raid has been super cool. We're, we're still making Terror Raid. I actually just restocked it today. I think it's cool to be able to add um, a, f- a, a completely scentless cooling agent to your shaves. Because, like, I hate the smell of menthol, personally. And people are like, why don't you do more menthol soaps? It's like, that's why, because I absolutely hate the smell of menthol. Um, but these new-gen cooling agents have no smell at all, and that's really cool. And I kind of like the cooling sensation, but I hate the the burning fumes and the overpowering smell from from menthol crystals. And so, um, I'm generally not terribly fond of mentholated products in general. Uh, let's see. Probably going to do a new, a new label for Leviathan. <laughs> People got really mad, including you. Um, and you know, like I, <laughs> I like it. I thought I thought <laughs> it was cool. You. <laughs> you know, the thing was that like. Mike came to me and he's like, hey, I really, I really, really want to paint a soap cap for you. Shout out to Michael Fur. okay? Just, he's just, just awesome. I love, I love Michael. He's, he's so much fun. And so um, he said, I really want to paint a soap cap for you. He said, I really like what you do. He said, I, I, you know, I've been painting for a while um, and I think it'd be really cool. And I said, okay. So I took a look at his art and I was like, wow, this is out there. And he's like, he uses vivid color and like it's it's just crazy and like thank god i wasn't on acid when i opened that gallery because i would not have known what to do with myself but um i i was so into just the complete departure from pretty much everything else i had seen in in you know art that i was like well do you want to do a label for us? And he was like, oh my God, that'd be awesome. And so, um, you know, I decided that it would fit with Leviathan. And when he explained the, uh, what everything represented, it made complete sense. And I tried to explain it to other people and couldn't quite get the point across. So um, message received, people don't like it. I don't think we're going to go back to the original Ouroboros label. I think what we'll do instead is we'll probably try to do a new label that incorporates the Ouroboros in some way that's sort of a, a callback to the earlier design, but is still, you know, something, something a little different and something a little newer. But, can uh, we, can, can we expect new, uh, like, you know, Leviathan, uh, you know, in particular, just having um, the new art and then the, the, te- the text was just, you know, kind of just like very, very small. Do we expect that in other labels to be more art forward than text mm. forward? Um, it, honestly, it, it varies from, from label to label. I don't really, uh, you know, put any particular emphasis on something being art forward or text forward, unless there's like a really good reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Hallows, Hallows is very much art forward. You know, if you go back and look at all the different designs we ever did for Hallows, they're all very art forward. Um, especially the one that's the, the skull with the nails in it. And I got to be honest, just brief story about that. Um, I was working with a, a graphic design firm at the time, and I've since stopped working with them um, because it proved to be really difficult. But um, when they pitched that to me, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. What they did not tell me was that it was an actual post-mortem x-ray. <laughs> oh. And so somebody on Reddit discovered this and was like, yeah, this came from, and this was how I found out. He was like, yeah, this came from the New York City coroner's office. And I was like, whoa, I'm sorry, excuse me? <laughs> and we were, we, I mean, like, it had already, we'd already sold, like, a lot of it. Like, there was nothing I could do. And I went back to them and I was like, guys, 
you took an actual postmortem x-ray and did this and they're like well we added more nails <laughs> thank you that that totally makes it better but um yeah i mean like that that one especially was really art forward people you know i i mean i got emails from people they were like hey i have little children i don't want to buy this i was like i completely understand that i take no offense um you know we and for a few people i actually shipped them like labelless jars of hallows um so that we didn't like scare their kids but um you know there's there's no set principle regarding how art or text forward something is at any at any given time it's just kind of what looks good and like i i do a lot of the label design myself and it's just kind of how i think it ought to look as opposed to like a, a set design principle it, it we've gone through contortions to put it out there and it's it's one of those things where it's like do we really want to do this anymore and, and i actually that- Sorry, go ahead. No, continue, please. I, I was gonna, it, it, that's in regards to the, the fragrance of it, correct? Like getting, was it the components of the fragrance or? Yeah, the components of the fragrance are difficult to get. Um, it sort of <coughs> comes and goes. Uh, Cocoa Absolute seems to, seems to um, fluctuate in availability, which I'm sure is due to the fact that cocoa is probably a, a failing crop due to global climate change. Because uh, I don't think we're gonna have cocoa in like 30 years. But um, the other thing is that it's just been fraught with logistical problems. I mean, like for a while I would joke with people that I thought it was cursed yeah, because yeah. it was, it was crazy. Like everything that could go wrong did like the, the um, you know, the, the year we did the, the skull with the nails, the graphic design firm that I was working with had been put in charge of like getting procuring all the labels and everything. And it turned out that they had only ordered like half of what we needed. And I discovered this four days before the launch. Oh my gosh. And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Um, So it, it was just, it was so weird that like so many things would go wrong and we would have to scramble to make sure that, um, you know, things held up. I mean, of the original production run of 25 jar, uh, 25 pieces, I think. They were pucks. We weren't even using jars then. Um, two were destroyed in transit, and then one just evaporated off the face of the earth. Like, we shipped it to Scotland, and apparently they the postal carrier, like, gave it to the hairdresser who was supposed to give it to the bartender who was supposed to keep it for this guy and it just disappeared and he sent me this angry email he's like well you need to replace it replace it and i was like dude they say it was delivered he's like well i didn't get it the hairdresser didn't give it to the pub keeper so that i could pick it up and i was like all right and so i went back and forth with this guy for like two weeks and ended up having to call the edinburgh supply depot and let me tell you, calling a Scottish postal worker at like 4.30 in the afternoon for them is a very weird experience. They're like, what the hell do you want? <laughs> um, but uh, like, it just, it was weird because it just like set the tone for the entirety of Hallows for its, its several releases. Like every time we would release it, some bizarre thing would go wrong. And we'd be like, oh my God, what the hell happened? Like when the website crashed, 
you know, and we, we were ready to go. We had made, we had made all the stock we thought we had to make. We were ready to go. Everything had been wrapped and prepared and we put the thing up and we watched it come down immediately. And I looked at mom and I was like, Oh crap, <laughs> this is going to be bad. And it was really bad. And there was unfortunately like there was nothing we could do to stop it. Like it was, a, it was a technical failure. Um, on the part of Shopify and there was nothing that we could do. Like we couldn't, we couldn't even, we couldn't even shut it off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was that a matter of like overloading or, 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 or just some fluke of like, it just coincidence. As, <laughs> as I, un- Hallow's curse. Yeah. As I understand it, the way that it happened was that so many people hit the website at the same time that they ended up buying it out from under each other which is supposed to be impossible. But Shopify was like, well, because of how the stock system works, um, it's held for like five minutes. So it would like intermittently go out of stock over the course of like two hours. And then like a bunch of these five minute hold aside things would expire and it would like drop a bunch of stock back into the queue. <laughs> it was a mess. And I was like, oh my God, what the hell is happening? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of your problem. And I was like, well, thank you. You're a multi-billion dollar company and this is how you treat me. But um, unfortunately we're, we're a little too wedded to Shopify to, to let go of them. So it, I mean, the cost to, the cost to change systems and be like, guys, you know, we're sorry that this happened. It won't happen again. We will, we will make every effort to make sure that this never happens again. But um, unfortunately there was nothing we could have done. So people were mad. Like people were really pissed off and I, I understand why. And like, if, if I didn't know what had happened and was just watching this thing from the other end, I'm sure I would have been pissed off too. But unfortunately we just, we couldn't turn it off. That's crazy. That's very, very crazy. So you're saying Hell is coming back before the fall. <laughs> Bite your tongue. I know where you live, John. <laughs> Don't say anything. Just, you know, just like no announcement, no oh, nothing. It just you know, pops up one day. Like, pops up. Like Kanye. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's the thing nowadays. Just like there you go. no one it asked was- for it. Beyonce dropped her album out of nowhere. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And there you go. Like that. I, I think you actually, if anyone could pull it off, Will, I think because through the grapevine, Reddit especially, man, mm-hmm. we find out about stuff like quick. So like, oh my God, guys, <laughs> go to, you know, go be an insight. Yep. You should try it. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. like, a few people have been annoyed that I don't make I don't yeah. make email announcements about Softheart. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 saw, I, I do Instagram, it. I saw that. <laughs> but I do it for that reason because I'm really concerned because like it's such a limited run and the idea that it's supposed to be really flexible and, and a limited thing, like I said, so that I, I, we can do these kind of freaky things and, you know, aren't putting ourselves, uh, you know, up against the wall in the process. But <laughs> the reason that I don't send emails is that I don't want what happened with Hallows to happen with um, the soft hearts where people are buying product out from under each other because um, that would be a real problem. And so what I tell people is, you know, unfortunately it's kind of a first come first serve sort of thing. Like I will put up, I'll give you a heads up two days, two days before I'll put it on Facebook. I'll put it on Instagram. I'll put it on Reddit. But I mean, you know, to send, to send an email to thousands of people to tell them that these hundred jars of soap are available just seems like a really, really bad idea. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, for talking to me and Gerard tonight. Uh, it was just great kind of hearing some stories, just how fragrance has been really a part of your life. It was uh, my pleasure. We just want to wish, you, you know, for both Barrister Man, especially Pursuits, uh, a very successful 2020. Thank you. And, and we're very excited to see yeah, what comes out from, from both your ventures. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. You can find links to Barrister and Man and Barrister's Perfumes in the show notes. You can also find the social media links for Gerard and myself in the links below. Lather Talk is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may download your podcasts. We want to thank you for your time and hope you'll join us next episode. See you then. <laughs>